All right. Well, we want to begin uh, together this morning a new study, a new series of messages. And uh, as I thought and prayed long and hard about where to go uh, with our time together on Sunday mornings here uh, as we head into 2018, uh, the Lord over the last week or two as I've been praying into this uh, has drawn my attention to a phrase that I want to put before you and have you think about with me for the next uh, little while here in our life together. It's the phrase, living well. Living well. What does living well look like? What does it take to live well? What constitutes living well? Wellness is one of those phrases that has become very popular in our society over the last many years. Personal wellness. Everybody talks about it. Everybody wants it. Everybody's looking for it. But I think there's a good bit of confusion over what constitutes wellness. What does it take to really live well? A lot of people think that living well has to do with physical wellness. Finding every little way that you can improve your diet and your health, having a good exercise routine, you know, being part of a gym or whatever. What, what does it take to, to be healthy and fit and uh, to, to have physical wellness? Other people talk about wellness in its uh, social and emotional dimensions, and they think about uh, all that's involved in experiencing wellness in, in those parts of your life that are more social or emotional. But I want to submit to you that Jesus' definition of wellness has a very different focus than the world's definition of wellness. Jesus is inviting us to live well. And he's doing it very specifically by offering his life to us. So living well in the Spirit, living well as a follower of Jesus Christ, is a very different kind of wellness than you'll hear talked about in the world around us. Let me give you an example. The story is told, I came across this uh, maybe a year or so ago, of a young man named Bubba, probably from the South, I'm just guessing. Uh, from the time he was 13 years old, he was drinking and getting high on meth because of all that he'd been through with his broken home life. His mother and father had separated when he was young, and since then there had been six marriages between the two of them. From that time on, for almost 10 years, Bubba was searching for his identity and for a sense of belonging, struggling with this incredible sense of brokenness in his family life. And in the absence of having that sense of belonging, substance abuse became the mode of escape for Bubba. Until one day he met a young Christian woman who began to show him what inner peace really looked like. He saw something different in her life and was drawn to it. Soon they were dating, although, of course, I don't recommend missionary dating. Sometimes it works out. Uh, soon they were dating, and, and her positive influence in his life only increased when uh, he met her family and was accepted by them with a grace and love like he'd never experienced before. Eventually, they got married, and he joined her family. But more important than that, he made a decision to join the family of God, to become a follower of Jesus Christ, and to be in right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. That decision changed his life. It brought him into a whole new experience of wellness, living well. And Bubba's story is an example of how encountering Jesus literally changes people's lives and brings them into a whole new experience of living well. For the next couple of weeks, I want to look with you at a story from the Gospel of John. And it's a story that's familiar to many of us. In fact, over the years, it's a story that I've returned to on many occasions. I've preached on it several times. Yet, as I considered uh, what to tackle next in our time together on Sunday mornings, 
I, I sense the Lord drawing me back to this story again because it's so rich and there's so much here for us to think about and to apply in the context of our own encounter with Jesus. So to that end, let's read together from John chapter 4, which conveys the story of how one particular woman encountered Jesus and discovered that he alone could change her life and fill her heart with shalom. This is John 4, verses 1 through 42. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Then Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward her. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, 
I have food to eat that you know nothing about. His disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad forever together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Thanks be to God for his glorious word. So as we look at this story, there is a lot here to unpack. It's a long story, and it's a deep story with lots of takeaways, lots of insights that we can unpack together over the next uh, four weeks or so. I want to look at this story with you uh, throughout the month of January, and we're going to focus in the coming weeks particularly on uh, what Jesus has to say about worship and the practice of worship, the priority of worship, what kind of worshipers it is that God seeks. But this morning, before we get to all of that, I want you to just think with me about the two characters in this story and their interaction with one another, the woman at the well and Jesus. What is it about each one of them that's insightful, that's striking it in this interaction that they have with one another? So let's start by thinking about the woman that Jesus encountered. This Samaritan woman represents every human heart that is thirsty for the life that only Jesus offers. See, what I want you to recognize is that this story is about her, but she's representative of the human race. She's representative of something much bigger and broader than her own life, her own personal experience. But let's begin by thinking about her experience, her life, or lack of life. What kind of woman do you suppose this was? Was she one who had her act together or one who was deeply broken? Well, at first, we aren't told much about her. All that we know as the story begins to unfold is that she's a woman and she's a Samaritan. And she happens to turn up at the well, uh, Jacob's well in Sychar, at the same time that Jesus does. But the answer about her life comes out later in the story. Eventually, it comes to us in the storyline when Jesus relays to her a prophetic insight about the turmoil in her home life. I love this uh, part of the story because it's a great example of one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that all of us ought to want to grow in and experience for ourselves. Jesus essentially receives what uh, is often referred to as a word of knowledge. It's a supernatural word of knowledge or insight into the circumstances of another person's life that comes by the Spirit. It's a gift of the Spirit of God. And so we read in John 4, 16 to 18, uh, he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. 
Then Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. This is a, a rather amazing encounter, isn't it? And it's a classic example of, of revelation from the Spirit of God. There's no way Jesus could have known, right? He didn't do a background check on her. You know, he didn't somehow hear about her before he turned up at the well. This was a divine word of knowledge dropped in his spirit by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just that Jesus knew everything about everyone because he's omniscient. This is a word of knowledge that Jesus received in that moment. To quote an old expression that's familiar in the vineyard, Jesus was reading this lady's mail. Reading her mail. Can you imagine how startling this would have been to her? Imagine that somebody, some stranger, comes up to you and suddenly reveals their knowledge of the deepest secrets that lie buried in your heart. How would you react? What would you think? She recognized right away that there was something different about him. And what I really love about this is the absolute lack of judgment in Jesus' words. He's not saying this to shame her. He's not saying this to condemn her or convict her. All of that would have wounded her heart even further. He simply says it to, to reveal her broken heart. To reveal it so that he can heal it and set her free from the shame and the loneliness that she carries with her. So first and foremost, this story tells us something insightful about the brokenness that often lies hidden in the hearts of men and women. And this is true for people all around us. In fact, it's probably true for each of us as well. It shows us, this story, that our human hearts long for a better life, but we don't know how to find it. We want to live well, but we're unsure about what living well looks like or how to do it. This woman's backstory reveals that people's hearts are often conflicted by thoughts or feelings or desires which seem to wage war in their own souls. The human heart is like a battleground, longing for peace, but unaware of where that peace would ever come from. And this woman is a classic example of our common inability to find the quality of life or the wellness that we all yearn for. She sought it in a series of men. And each one fell short. Each one failed to provide for her the, the better life that she was longing for which is precisely why I think the sixth time around she didn't even bother with the wedding vows. What's the point? This woman went in search of water to drink, and she thought she knew where to find it. She was in touch with her physical thirst, but what she wasn't fully aware of was the thirst in her soul for a better life. And I think that's just how it is with, with many of us as well, many people around us. We try to keep busy and preoccupied with meeting the needs of our bodies because they prove to be an easy and pleasant distraction from the deeper needs of the soul, the brokenness of the soul. Somehow the comforts of the body seem to mask the discomforts of the heart and soul. And in this sense, uh, you can think of drawing from the well, drawing water from the well, uh, as a metaphor, right, of whatever it is that provides comfort to your own body. Comfort. The real and deeper question here, the one that Jesus is always pressing into, is what would bring comfort and peace to your soul, not to your body? What would bring wellness? to your spirit. Let me give you a couple of examples. 
have you ever noticed that when you're feeling stressed or anxious about something, you can temporarily escape that feeling by doing something that makes your body feel better? It works, at least for a little while, because that brief sense of enjoyment, fleeting though it is, keeps us distracted from what we're really grappling with. Let's get honest here, all right? It provides a way of escape. Not by solving the problem of unrest that's deep in our hearts, but by masking it. So for some people, the form of escape or denial may literally be drinking or eating. Maybe it's a cup of coffee, or maybe it's a bottle of booze, or maybe it's a bowl of ice cream, or a piece of cake. All you need to temporarily feel just a little bit better is that next drink or that next bite. For others, maybe it's extra sleep in the form of a, a nap or a longer night's rest. Sleep can actually be a way of escape from what plagues your soul at the deeper level. Or for many people, it's, it's watching TV or engaging in some other form of recreation or entertainment. Those things can easily become an escape from the brokenness in our hearts. Now, now hear me closely on this. I'm not saying that these activities are necessarily wrong in all circumstances, or that the simple pleasures of life should be completely denied. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we need to be aware of the escape mentality that uses these things to mask the brokenness inside of us. And we need to recognize that people all around us use these little tricks, right? Nobody likes to reveal their brokenness, their emptiness. But everybody has it. So instead of using a distraction to escape from the feelings of anxiety and unrest, unrest in our hearts, we should recognize what that is. Recognize where it is. Confess it. Confront it. And look to Jesus for the peace, the shalom that only he has to offer us. We can deny or pretend that our hearts are not really thirsty, but God knows better. And he wants better for us. He wants a better life for us. And he offers it to us. He's holding out his hand and offering a drink that can quench the thirst of your soul. And that drink is the living water of Jesus' life. The life of Jesus. He's the only one that can quench the thirst of the human heart. So let's turn our attention then to Jesus and what he has to, to say to this woman he encounters. Knowing our thirst for a better life, Jesus intentionally crosses every barrier in his way to offer us his life. Think about this. Think about what it took for Jesus to encounter this woman and reveal his life to her. This is a story about the woman and her needs, her brokenness, but it's a story as well about the intentionality of Jesus the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. Jesus actually made an extraordinary effort to speak peace and freedom to this woman. And I want you to understand and appreciate with me the barriers that he had to cross to do that. First of all, just think about what's happening from a logistical standpoint. And maybe some of you will recall, I've, I've spoken about this before, but it's been uh, a year or two since, uh, since we've looked at this. Notice, first of all, that Jesus stops at the well for a rest, right? Why does he need a drink? Because he's been walking for the better part of the morning. He's been hiking. That was his mode of transportation, right? From Jerusalem to Galilee, 
he's en route from one place to the other. He's traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee. And he's chosen, in particular, to take this route through the Judean mountains so that he has to pass through this little village of Sychar in the region of Samaria. On foot, this is a journey of about 45 miles from Jerusalem to Sychar. So probably didn't do it all that morning, but has Jesus with his disciples has been hiking for the last few days. They probably rose early that day to begin their hike again. And around 12 o'clock noon, they came to the town of Sychar. And the disciples went to find something to eat while Jesus rested at the well. So when Jesus arrives at the well, I want you to get in your, in your mind here the reality that he's tired and he's thirsty because he's been hiking all morning long. In other words, from a physical standpoint, you wouldn't think that he's primed for a ministry opportunity. Do you look for opportunities to minister to people when you're tired? I don't. When I'm tired, I withdraw. When I'm tired, I tend, I, 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 I'm, I tend to ignore people rather than engaging with people. Just being honest, right? But Jesus wasn't too tired to see what the Father wanted him to do and to press into it. And so I think he came this way on purpose, as a matter of fact, because he knew that God wanted him to do something in this region. This was a divine appointment. And Jesus was ready, even though he was tired, even though he was thirsty. In fact, what's particularly compelling about Jesus' example here is that he had to cross several barriers in order to interact with this woman in the first place. And you, can, you get a sense for this from her incredulous response to his initiative, right? He says in John 4, verse 9, uh, he's asking her for a drink, and we see her response. John 4, verse 9, the Samaritan woman says to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. John tells us parenthetically here the reason for her response. Right? The reason for her response, her surprise at the initiative of Jesus, is that she would have never expected him to give her the time of day. She would have never expected him to initiate a conversation. Her expectation upon coming to the well and seeing a Jewish man there was that he would completely ignore her and they wouldn't say a word to one another. In fact, relations between Jews and Samaritans were so poor, I recently heard it said, uh, actually last weekend at the conference we went to in Kansas City, that if a Jewish boy were to marry a Samaritan girl, his parents would literally perform a funeral and declare him dead to them. That's how bad the relations were. That's how bad the prejudice was between Jews and Samaritans. Now, we know from the story that Jesus told of the good Samaritan, right, uh, that Samaritans were not viewed as good by Jews, but precisely the opposite. The beauty of that story is the surprise ending. In fact, they were so despised and neglected by the Jewish people that, that most religious Jews traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee would literally avoid walking through Samaria at all. They would take the long way around Samaria so that they didn't have to interact with Samaritans. Jesus took the shortcut on purpose. And this is instructive for us, right? I think we need to recognize here that Jesus never faced a racial or ethnic barrier in relating with people that he wasn't willing to cross. Just because someone was of a different race or ethnicity, uh, that was never going to keep Jesus from interacting with them, from speaking into their lives, from making himself known. And that's still true today, right? Jesus' heart is for people from every tribe and tongue across the face of the earth. 
And that should be true as well for each of us. So, Jesus had to cross the border of Samaria. But even more than a physical border, he was crossing a racial and ethnic barrier by reaching out to this woman. Then, I want you to add to that the insight that Jesus also had to cross this invisible border between manhood and womanhood. She's a woman. He's a man. She happens to be a Samaritan woman in particular. And there were all sorts of rules at the time that would guide how a man and woman were allowed to interact. It was a much different culture, a much different context than what we're accustomed to in our own culture. And it was unheard of for a man like this to interact, as Jesus did, with a woman like her. Notice that when the disciples return to find Jesus talking with this woman, John describes their reaction. John 4.27. Just then, his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. They're surprised. Why? But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Why was this surprising to them? Again, because it was seen from a religious perspective as compromising. No one wanted to question Jesus out loud, but the implication here is that they were all questioning him silently. They were all wondering, what in the world is he doing talking to this woman? To put it frankly, the disciples were judging Jesus because they thought that he was guilty of doing something that they all knew was inappropriate. There were barriers that prevented them from thinking that it was appropriate to initiate a conversation with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. But Jesus was intentional. He was intentional about moving beyond those type of barriers. He was intentional about demonstrating acceptance and love. Let me just briefly tell you a story I heard yesterday that uh, I thought was so beautiful. Um, I was at the memorial service uh, for Dave Jackson's mom, Barbara Gross, who was a part of our congregation for about a year. And there were a number of stories told about her uh, and what a, what a shining light she was, what a great demonstration of, of God's love uh, she was to people. And uh, Dave told one story in particular about how Barbara would often bring people home unexpectedly, and he would turn up and somebody would be there that he didn't know. And on many occasions it was a, a wonderful surprise to see who Barbara would bring home. And uh, perhaps one of the most interesting occasions was when uh, he turned up at home uh, with his girlfriend at the time, who later became his wife, and uh, his mother, Barbara, had brought home a man dressed as a woman, cross-dressing. And Barbara had the love to see beyond that, to reach out to this person and invite this man to come back to her house and share a meal with their family. There's a barrier that most of us would not be willing to cross, right? Most of us would look at a person like that and would think to ourselves, okay, I'm just going to keep my distance. This is not the kind of person that I want to initiate a conversation with. But you see, Barbara saw beyond that. Barbara initiated a relationship with that person and invited them into her home and I think that reflects the heart of Jesus. That's exactly what we're reading about in this story. That's the kind of mindset that says no barrier is too big to move beyond, to, to break through, right? So let me give you one last barrier. And this is the one that we've talked about a little bit already with regard to the woman's brokenness. 
what we need to realize here is that Jesus crossed the third barrier. He crossed the ethnic racial barrier. He crossed the, the gender barrier. And then he crossed a barrier that had to do with um, what the brokenness that was hidden in this woman's heart. It's a barrier between appearances at the surface level and realities below the surface. In other words, the border that protects and defends the human heart. Everybody that has brokenness hidden in their hearts tries to protect that, tries to cover it up so that it's unseen and hidden. In other words, there's a border that we place around ourselves to protect us from what might be uh, the judgment of others. At first, this woman that Jesus encountered wanted to keep things superficial, and she was quite happy to do that. If Jesus hadn't taken the initiative to ask her for a drink, she probably wouldn't have said anything to him at all. Once he initiated the conversation, she responded. But even then, she wasn't going to volunteer information about her brokenness to this stranger. But here we see the most compelling thing about how Jesus ministers to people, all people. He wasn't looking at what was visible. He was looking below the surface to what was invisible in her life. He was peering into her soul and seeing the desperate thirst that was hidden there a thirst that was even greater than his own physical thirst at that moment. In the physical sense, Jesus had been hiking for a few days and he was thirsty, right? But in the spiritual sense, Jesus saw that this poor woman had been hiking through mountains of broken relationships without water for many years. That's what he saw. And he crossed the border. He pressed in to that place of brokenness in her life. He initiated it so that he could bring freedom and healing. He was purposeful. He was intentional about crossing every barrier that stood in the way of a meaningful relationship with this woman so that he could offer his life to her. So what we need to realize then about this amazing encounter is that it exemplifies the vision and the compassion with which God views the, the innermost issues in people's lives. He's always seeing beneath the surface to the reality of what's happening in human hearts. And he's always longing to work with people and to guide people's hearts to a place of refreshment, to a place of life, to a, a place of peace, to a place of genuine wellness. This word wellness, uh, to me, really means uh, shalom. That's the Hebrew word that the Jewish people uh, refer to as wellness. We often translate it into the word peace, but wellness is another dimension of the biblical word shalom. It's peace with God and peace with others around you. It's the place of contentment and fulfillment in right relationship with God and with others. Shalom is the essence of truly living well. And it's what Jesus offers us. So just as he did with this Samaritan woman, Jesus has his eye on each and every person, each one of us. And he sees all that we typically aim to hide from others around us. And he's not looking at those secrets of our hearts with any desire to judge us or condemn us. His desire is to help us find the way to freedom, to life, to being in right relationship with him and with others. So let me kind of summarize really what this amounts to, right? There's an invitation here. There's an invitation that each one of us 
needs to receive if we haven't already received it. It's the invitation to live well in right relationship with Jesus. To live well is to draw life from the true living well, Jesus. Notice what he says about what he has to offer to this woman and to each one of us as well. Look at John 4, verse 10. Jesus says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She responds with confusion. She doesn't know what he's talking about because he has nothing to draw water uh, from the well with. So Jesus repeats and expands his offer. In John 4, 13 to 14, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, what Jesus is saying is that the living water he alone can offer us is what gives us his life. In fact, he expands on this theme a short time later in John chapter 7. We read a similar account. There's uh, another occasion on which Jesus uses very similar language. And in this case, he specifies that the living water refers to his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Uh, notice the similarity of the language that he uses here. In John 7, 37 to 39, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. For up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So in other words, Jesus knows we're thirsty for something deeper, something, a, a better life, right, than the one that we're capable of left to our, ourselves. And he knows exactly where we can get it from him. He's holding his hand out, offering us a drink from the wellspring of his abundant and eternal life. He's offering us the inner comfort and the peace, the shalom that comes when we are in right relationship with God through faith in him. And the invitation that he offered to that woman, he offers to each one of us. In fact, I offer it to you right now. I know, looking out here, because I know many of you, that most, most of you, perhaps most all of you, have received that invitation at some point already. You've come to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you. But I want to just hasten to say, if there's anybody here this morning that has not received what Jesus has to offer you, there's no time like the present. You don't have to wait. You don't have to put it off. You can do it right here and now. You can take the drink of eternal life that Jesus offers you. And it's very simple. It's, it's really just amounts to saying, yes, Lord, I receive what you have to offer me. And if you'd like to do that, we'll, we'll pray in a short time, and I'd love to encourage you and invite you to pray with me for that to happen in your life. Now, with just the few minutes that we have left, I want to take you one step further with this story because there's something that happens at the end of the story that I think is compelling for us beyond our own individual encounter with Jesus. Right? This is a story about a woman's encounter with Jesus and how that encounter changed her life. But notice that the story ends with a much bigger impact 
than that single encounter. I want you to recognize something here that's supremely important about what the woman does in response to her encounter with Jesus. Look with me for a moment at verses 28 to 30 and and then 34 to 42. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. So what's going on? This woman, who's had her life changed in an instant by this encounter with Jesus, is compelled to share that experience with others. She's so overcome with the joy of meeting Jesus and encountering him that she has to tell other people about it. And then the story goes on, and for a few moments there, there's a little bit of comic relief with the disciples trying to figure out why Jesus isn't hungry or what kind of food he's come up with because they went to get him food and he doesn't want what they brought him. It's, it's comical, really. But then when we get past that, in verse, verses 34 and following, we see what really lies in Jesus' heart. And we get some reflection on this whole encounter from Jesus' perspective. And then we get a summary of how the whole thing played out. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. What kind of harvest is he talking about? He's talking about the harvest of human lives. He's talking about people like this woman whose lives need to be changed by an encounter with him. Even now, he says, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. We could spend some time talking about all that, but we don't have that time. So let me just press on here. Those are Jesus' reflections on what's just happened. And then we come to this. John gives us the grand finale of the story. And I think, you know, you might have thought that the grand finale happened earlier. We don't always see this as significant. But to me, this is the most significant part of the whole story. Many of the Samaritans, and this is in verse 39 and following, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. You see, What this woman did after her own personal encounter with Jesus is exemplary for all of us. She didn't keep it to herself. She couldn't. She was so changed, so filled with joy and peace by this encounter with Jesus, so filled with his life that it spilled out and she had to share it with others. She was so changed by this encounter that she had to tell others about Jesus. And as a result, the entire village was transformed. This whole little village of Sychar in Samaria was transformed 
by an encounter with Jesus. He spent two days there. Wasn't planning on it necessarily, but he stayed because the people of the village invited him into their lives. They wanted to know who he was. They wanted to know what he had to offer them. So this woman's witness bore the fruit of transforming her entire city. That's amazing, isn't it? She let her own encounter with Jesus and how it had changed her life compel her to share the life of Jesus with others in her circle of influence. And that serves, I think, as a great picture of what we are called to be and do as a local church. God has encountered each one of us. Jesus has made himself known to us. He's touched our lives and changed our lives. He's given us his life. And now he's inviting us to share that life with others. And friends, we don't have a lot of time to dig into this because our time is up for this morning, but I'll come back to it in the weeks to come. What I want you to understand is that this story serves as a great picture of our vision as a local church. Because God has called us together to transform our city. God has called us together to represent who Jesus is and to share who Jesus is with others so that they too can receive the life that only he has to offer. And if we're content to just make it about our own experience, we're missing the mission of the church. God's calling us beyond these walls. God's calling us to share what he's given us for the benefit of the city in which we live. And that's what the example of this woman illustrates. Let's pray.